Please listen carefully. Hello and welcome to episode 75 of the Telling the Story podcast. I am Matt Pearl, author of the Telling the Story blog and a reporter at NBC in Atlanta. This podcast is all about developing your voice as a journalist and developing the skills to harness that voice. Speaking of voices, if I sound a bit hushed on this episode, it is because my daughter, who turns two this month, is asleep in her room right above me. Each episode, I grow a little more confident in my ability to talk in a normal volume without waking her up, but for now, still treading carefully. Uh, I'm so excited for my guests this episode, two people who produced one of the most, frankly, remarkable works of storytelling uh, I've ever seen. Before we meet them, a few requests to you. First, please subscribe to this podcast on Stitcher Smart Radio. It's the best podcast app I know. It keeps a playlist of all your favorite shows and automatically updates with new episodes so you don't have to download them. Just download the Stitcher app and subscribe to the Telling the Story podcast. Second, rate and review this podcast on iTunes. If you like what you're hearing and want others to hear it too, a kind rating on iTunes is the best way to boost us in the rankings and search. So I kindly encourage that. Finally, you can buy my book, The Solo video journalist wherever fine books are sold. It is a how-to guide for the most in-demand job in local TV news, those who shoot and edit their own stories. It's getting picked up by college classes. It's being read around the world. Again, that's the solo video journalist on sale now. Late last month in the Big Apple, a column-lined building at Columbia University welcomed a squad from the Twin Cities. There was a public school principal dressed in all white. There was a marketing director, a professor, and the two people you're about to meet, the two once co-workers at CARE 11 in Minneapolis, who spent around two years at the station producing a full-length feature documentary. That documentary on this night in New York was honored with arguably the greatest honor in broadcast news, a DuPont Award. It's the latest award and honor for a film that's won the Audience Award at numerous festivals that's brought three-dimensional warmth and texture to questions of education, race, and the opportunities available to all children. And by the way, you can watch it in its entirety right now on YouTube. The documentary is called Love Them First, Lessons from Lucy Laney Elementary. The pair behind it, reporter Lindsay Sievert, photojournalist Ben Garvin. Welcome to the Telling the Story podcast. Thank you so much, Matt. Thank you. Well, I'm just going to say this right now. I'm going to try to restrain myself from just fawning over the two of you for the next 40 minutes because, frankly, after watching Love Them First, I just wanted to get on the phone with you both and just fell about how powerful it was. Uh, but before we get into the process of making the film and how you gained support from CARE 11, your station, to do it, let me start with this. Congratulations on everything, specifically on the DuPont Award. And my first question is, Obvious and corny, but necessary. How does it feel to have accomplished this extraordinary triumph, both the product itself and the way it's been received and the way it has rippled across the United States? Well, I'll just say, Matt, thank you for your lovely description, your opening. You had just wonderful storytelling there about the columns outside Columbia University. And I think I'll start there for just for a moment when we walked up these big steps to go into the awards, uh, the library where the awards were held. I had this moment like, wow, you know, almost two decades in journalism. And this is a moment you dream of. And I, I tried to soak it in for just a moment. Ben and I even took a selfie on those steps and, you know, all the struggle and strife. I don't know if I could see that end game when we started this project, that it would receive a DuPont, 
but it did feel just so wonderfully affirming. How about you, Ben? Yeah, it was a it was a spectacular moment. You know, it, it, it's it's almost like a kind of a blur. I feel like, uh, you know, I'm I, I look back at in you know, Lindsay and I. It's taken us two years to get to that point, and um, you know, I, I I didn't really even understand what a Dupont was. And I remember when we woke up and I I had a bunch of texts from people. And I was I was trying to figure out. I, I didn't I didn't understand that it was a, as big of a deal. And it was, and and I think Lindsay and I always have to remind ourselves that yes, you know, we we did. We did good journalism. We got a good story, but we also kind of ended up just raising uh, the voices and and the and the, the the brilliance of of people who are doing their work regardless of whether or not we're there, you know. And 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 of course, you know, it was beautifully told and all that, you know. I mean, I, I don't know, but I, I guess I just feel like it's always good to remember that what's happening in this school in, in, in North Minneapolis is extraordinary, and and what it, what a gift it was to be able to sh- sort of show that to the world and to even bring. Mari Friesleben, who was our sort of main character, to the Dupont, like that was that was a highlight for us, I think. So, Lindsay, let's go back to the beginning, and as we dive into this, give a quick explanation of the initial idea, the initial subject matter, and how this project started rolling. Yes, it really just started with our regular daily travels as journalists. And North Minneapolis, just to set the stage, happens to be about 10 minutes away from where CARE 11 is located. And it is often the epicenter of a lot of violent incidents and poverty in our community. So I would say the majority of time I spent there was was covering different types of crimes. Now, we would tell some positive stories in the community, but generally those were the kinds of stories that drew us there. And for me, the kind of moment where I, I really looked and turned and stared at the school on the corner and, and soaked in the beauty and light coming from the school is when I was assigned to cover the shooting death or drive-by shooting death of a two-year-old boy uh, right near the corner of the school. So this little boy died, you know, steps away from the school. Mari Friesleben, the principal at the time, held a vigil where all of the kids in the school were brought out to this, this street corner. And I was really struck by the way that she defended her students, by uh, her honesty with her students. And she is just that type of character that, you know, I always call it the lightning bolt, bolt moment. When you see somebody like Mari, you just know if you s- stick with her, she's going to take you places. She's somebody that challenges your thinking. And in that moment, in that story, she sort of challenged my own thinking about my responsibility to my community in the school district that I live in which is in the city of Minneapolis. And I thought really deeply about the fact that I have a son, not too much older you know, than the child who died that day from gun violence, but um, my son didn't have to duck for cover on the playground you know, as the students at Lucy Laney did. And so I just really thought about you know, what is my responsibility to the, to the community and what tools do I have? And for me, storytelling and writing is sort of my best weapon. So how could I use that? to reflect the light um, back to the community that was coming from Lucy Laney. So that was sort of my moment. And um, Ben had his own moment that I'll let him share next, but I think it just came from our own sort of transformative experiences, witnessing witnessing the school and then believing that we needed to share it. So Ben, um, you wanna share a little bit about your moment? Basically this similar moment where you're just on assignment for TV news where we get 90 seconds to tell a story, you know, and that's never, that's never enough, and it, and it doesn't it doesn't um, doesn't do justice to so many of the people we meet every day, and and it's important to do that kind of work. But when we met Mari Friesleben, you know, I met her um, 
we're just going to do a story about um, asking kids what they're thankful for on Thanksgiving, just a kind of a featurey thing <laughs> at Lucy Laney. Um, but that same day, the, the night before, there was a, a shooting in North Minneapolis, and Mari got on the announcements that morning and just gave this powerful, raw, honest uh, announcement to all the children. And it really kind of stunned me. Um, you know, I recorded it with my phone and ended up turning a piece about that. But she just was unflinching, and she just spoke about uh, the hardship and the fear and the anxiety that everyone has and that she had. But then she talked about everyone's going to have pizza for lunch and we're going to have fun at the basketball game. And it was just like this kind of uh, not turning away from hard things. And, and uh, you know, I realized this, I, I need to be here and I need to understand and we need to sit with this woman longer. Like, and, and Lindsay's right, like something would happen. And so, and, you know, we, we pitched this idea to our news director at the time, Jane Helke, and uh, she, she, we, we met with Mari and the four of us talked, but basically these two powerful women, leaders in their own world, um, agreed that there's something here. And they, they both kind of paved the way for us in their own respective organizations. You know, Mari at Lucy Laney and Jane at Care 11, where, you know, you don't typically get this kind of time for, for a story. Mm-hmm. And I'll just add that, you know, our initial um, pitch was, Matt, what if we spent one year inside the school and did a series of news stories? And the documentary was always sort of in the back of our minds, but we didn't start out with that with our pitch initially. Um, we just thought that if we brought people, you know, within the four walls of the school throughout the year and took them on that journey, that we could share a little bit about what we saw. Um, our news director, Jane Helmke, at the time, had said that when we brought this idea to her, you know, in, in a time where there were fewer resources and more stress, you know, within our newsroom, that the reason that she said yes is because she saw this story as an opportunity to combat and end racism in our community. And that was her personal why or her personal yes. And when we arranged a meeting with the principal, Mari, Mari said that was the reason Jane shared that story. And that was the reason that Mari agreed to it. And so hmm. we sort of just like knocked down these barriers uh, with this courageous ask, um, same with the school district, same with Lucy Laney, and 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 just started uh, story by story. Wow, I, I've seen an interview. I believe it was the new principal, Lucy Laney. Uh, Maury has since gone on to take over as principal of the high school in uh, 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 Minneapolis North. And so I was watching an interview with her and the new principal, and I believe it was the new principal who said something like. You know, everybody wants to talk about how Lucy Laney is so special, but the only thing that's special about us is that we had Ben and Lindsay follow us around for nine months. Mm. And I'm curious if when you first approached this project at this particular school, was there a feeling like, yeah, we're going to be at this school, but the problems and the issues and the approaches that surround it are representative across our city and across numerous schools with these demographics and with these challenges or was it this is a special school that's doing special things and that's why we need to focus on lucy laney you know i was i was thinking about that like i i, I don't think it's really sort of either one i think for me i think Lindsay, we, we may have a different feeling about this i'm not sure but i i just feel like as journalists you know we're just looking to tell a story that that, that can mean something to somebody that can move some somebody and make people feel deeply and and we knew Mari was a vehicle for that, and these children, and and their, their brilliance was a vehicle for that. And whatever happened beyond that, uh, it was a, kind of a surprise. It was kind of fun to figure out. Oh, this is resonating. Oh, this isn't re-. like we just that was all sort of after the fact. 
but we just moved forward knowing that we had people who, who could lead the way and, and we could follow. And I would just say that for me, it started out as a story about a special school, but it didn't take you know too long to be immersed in that environment before we realized the power and the reach that it was certainly something else. So throughout this journey, I think for me, really kind of getting outside my comfort zone of how I grew up in a suburban school and my parents were suburban school teachers. I had never spent time in more of an urban school in a, in a community of color. And so for me, it was really, I, I, I didn't know what to expect. And I think that, you know, th that open-mindedness of we didn't know where this year would take us really was the beauty in this journey and how, you know, I was personally transformed by, you know, my eyes open that, you know, I would love for, if my children went to this school and, and you know, that, you know, there's just a stereotype and, an, and a narrative um, that really wasn't fair and it was really one dimensional to this community. And I just wanted people to see what, what we were seeing. And I think that's a, a another interesting question to raise and an interesting point to raise, which is that obviously you are two white people going into a uh, an almost entirely black school, an entirely minority school. And did you at all talk about just the potential trip-ups there, that you might be bringing your own values and your preconceived set of opinions to a situation where it was more important to listen and to take it in and, and not try to prejudge it, even as you're producing stories and trying to maybe lay the track for a documentary where you are trying to figure out a structure and trying to figure out themes and a narrative. Mm -hmm. yeah, you, uh, you know, I was, yeah, I, I think absolutely. And I think Lindsay and I were, um, you know, it, it is a tricky thing because we are white. We're both living privileged lives and, and, and who, who are we to walk into Lucy Laney and have people trust us? And I think Mari knew that from the beginning and she even asked us, you know, you, you know, I'm okay with this and I, and I, I will give you guys a shot but um, you're going to have to pitch your idea to the entire staff. And, and so we did that. It was, it was uh, um, before school started in the lunchroom and Lindsay and I stood up there and we just basically um, poured our hearts out, told people what we wanted to do. And there was some skepticism. And, you know, I think that's healthy skepticism because the media in general doesn't have a good history in, you know, communities like North Minneapolis. We aren't there always for stories that resonate, you know, in a positive way. And, and, and so, I, you know, I think over time, there was a realization that okay, we are we are going to come in, and we're and I think also, uh, and uh, Lindsay can fill in the blanks here, but I just feel like in those moments you have to truly um, be ignorant because I, I am ignorant. I'm not black, and I don't. I, I didn't grow up in North Minneapolis, and and we are we are we are listening and learning and understanding, and and the more we can sort of be honest about that to ourselves and with the people we're talking to, I think the more they're going to be like, oh, well, I'll tell you about this, and 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 the students too. Like if you. If you give them a really open-ended space to to share their their deepest thoughts, you know they will do that. But if we come in with ideas about about questions or ideas about what to expect from people mm -hmm. uh, for any reason, it's going to kind of clam things up. So I think we we took that approach from the from early on and and uh, go, yeah. yeah. But anyway, go ahead, Lindsay. No, yeah, we we set intentions early on to be listeners in a community that we were unfamiliar with and we might feel uncomfortable at times or people might be uncomfortable by us. And, and there was just an open dialogue about that from the very beginning. What really helped us is that we had Mari's trust and she had worked so long to build trust with the community that that opened the door for us. But the rest, you know, was on our own. And a lot of people tell us within the school community that 
they began to trust us as we we had proof, you know, story by story. They loved the first story and the second story. And so that really started to kind of like build a relationship. Um, but I think the other thing that's really important is that as we went through this journey, we built relationships with the community because we were there often. Ben was there three days a week. Um, and throughout this journey, as we were editing, um, we held focus groups with the community. We invited people into the station from the community to watch our early drafts of the documentary. We held a focus group also in North Minneapolis with all you know African-American people who lived in the community who helped us shape our story um, so that we would re reflect uh, the community. And I think, Matt, you'll appreciate this as a storyteller, you know, as a, a daily reporter doing kind of 90 second packages or less, I often used the voiceover, right? And I think what really helped me and, and, and challenged me as a storyteller is I quickly began to realize that I, I felt uncomfortable um, voicing a truth about a community, you know, as a white woman, kind of narrating their reality and to allow the community to sort of reclaim their own narrative. I just wanted to give them their voices. And so yeah. that sort of took on the documentary journey. And I would just pray that um, I was able to reflect what I was seeing, that the story would walk through me. You know, I often talk about like we were vessels for this story. And that was that was my approach. Hmm. I wanted to get into stylistically and from a storytelling approach how this started to come together and Ben specifically you know you've been on you've been a guest on this podcast before uh, we've talked about your creativity and your skills as a photojournalist and I sensed right away watching this that you came in with a well thought out plan for specific elements of how you were going to shoot this for example throughout the documentary there are interviews with the students at Lucy Laney and they're done uh, in front of a black background where all you see as the viewer is the student, beautifully lit, student giving raw and unfiltered thoughts with nothing behind that student to distract the viewer. I'm curious, what were some of the early stylistic decisions like that that you made and talk about the thinking behind them? Well, that is a fun thing that you would notice. You know, and it is true. <laughs> I, 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 I like this idea of like... um having someone's face and someone's voice be a, a, enough information for us to be moved by. Like we don't need B-roll and we don't need, um, you know, a, a background or whatnot to bring something to life. If, if someone, if, if what someone's saying, if we really use the, 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 the golden nuggets and of course, Lindsay who logged hours and hours and hours of footage was brilliant at finding those nuggets. But, but the other thing is like, um, you know, I remember early on, I was thinking, okay, if I'm going to be listening to children, I, I want them to feel listened to. Uh, and so it, it, I know I feel listened to if people, um, you know, look at me in the eye on my level. So I remember getting in tiny little chairs and, and sitting down really low. Uh, so, I, so the students were look, weren't looking up to me, but they were looking at me. And also, um, you know, asking them questions where they're, 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 there's room to just be silly and, and be, be a kid and be, uh, and, you know, it's a it's a credit that the school and Minneapolis public schools would allow us to be in in these situations with children because they're talking about vulnerable things. And in the movie, you'll learn quickly that there's a brilliant student, Sophia, who talks about really hard things. And and I think students. Well, anyway, I the the, the light and, and the simple backdrop became kind of a quick thematic element, and it just made things easier. Um, and it made things cleaner and about people's expressions in their face. So, I mean, that's a brief answer to that idea. Anything that else that you took to, as far as your approach? Because 
obviously the documentary wound up uh, kind of materializing a little further into the process, but you were doing stories that were going to, I'm sure you wanted them to look similar and have a certain, uh, yeah. certain running thread of a style. What were some things that you thought in your head, like I should try this, I should do it this way. And this is the best way to tell this story. Well, I, I, I knew from the very beginning that we, we were going to have a lot of emotional moments, right? Things that would make you feel and, and you would want to sit with that feeling and not feel rushed through it. So I remember shooting a lot of some slow motion um, material early on with also kind of a steady cam. To, uh, so it just uh, felt a little more cinematic and, and uh, just kind of iconic school moments that you could let drag through. And also, you know, I grew up as a newspaper photographer. So I, for years, most of my career, I've worked at newspapers. And so still photography is close to my heart and I'm good at it. And I also think there's a, there's a, there's something about a still phot- photograph that lets you sit with it, something that's powerful and deep and real and not feel pushed through uh, video. I think has a tendency to be literal, especially if played at real time, you know, it, you can, it can, you're looking at what's going on. You're hearing the sounds, and 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 it's important, and it's a way to convey information. But but if we're feeling something that is about some deep feeling, I think still photography has a certain power that I really uh, had a lot of fun playing with over time. And and really, you know, I think that's one one unique thing about our documentary is it's just full of still photographs. And um, and also, I just love taking pictures of kids. They're beautiful and <laughs> a lot of fun for me. Lindsay, you mentioned this earlier that uh, obviously the two of you would go to Lucy Laney throughout the year and and multiple times a week or a month, but that specifically Ben was going uh, by himself. So there were shoots where you weren't there, where Ben's going, getting footage, maybe coming back with some great moments and you're not physically there to see it. How did you stay on top of what he was doing and kind of keep the thread in your mind of what this story was uh, as the year was going on and you were working on other things in addition to this. What was that process like for you? Yeah, it, it felt really strange and foreign, to be honest. I mean, I like to be right in the shoot experiencing everything with my own eyes and feeling and and this sort of turned it on its head for me. And what really happened is in the beginning, I think I was supposed to go out to the school one day a week where I was a full-time general assignment reporter the rest of the week. And Ben, he's more of a special projects photographer, so he was allowed to go three days a week. But as you know, with you know everything going on in, in the news business, and I remember the Super Bowl <laughs> was in town that year, and so a lot of my days would sort of you know disappear because of staffing. And so I really struggled to kind of get out to the school. So a lot of times I would kind of go, sometimes if I could squeeze it in in my shift or in the morning, we would plan things kind of before or after school, but really, Ben was doing the heavy lifting here of being inside the school and I would show up to some interviews or whatever I could. Um, but, it, but it was difficult. And so I, I took on more of a producer role, I would say for the first time. Um, and, but I think what, what helped with Ben and I is we already established a great working relationship. So he was great about communicating, you know, what he was going to do or what he got. He would show me clips, you know, right when he came back to the station. And a lot of times, I would request of him, hey, I really need a long shot of a hallway today. I need Mari checking on students today. Could you check in with Sophia, our main character? And so I would kind of nudge him with things that I, I thought we needed. And and then he was just great about immersing himself in the school and, and blending in and, and just 
going on the journey of the day too. So like, I remember like a, a really um, poignant moment in the film is when Mari is driving to school one morning and she's listening to a song on the radio and reflecting about um, her race and, and just really kind of deep things. And she sees a student on the way to school and rolls down the window and says hello to him. Um, it's just a beautiful moment where she's very vulnerable and, and shows her emotions. And for me, honestly, it's my favorite moment in the documentary and I wasn't there. Um, mm -hmm. But Ben immediately knew what he had captured and I think emailed or texted and said, look what I got this morning. And I think that really kind of encapsulates our relationship of not being able to be physically together, but still staying connected, at, you know, as storytellers. Can I just jump in really quickly and say that one thing Lindy had taught me is to not let her down. Like she, she, you know, it, it, it's the worst feeling to come back from an assignment and she'll say, well, do you have a sequence of, um, of this or that? You know, I'm like, and I, and I am like, no. And it's just like, I just, I just hated to, to be in a position to not have what she needed to tell the story, you know? So um, I, I know I, I really do feel like throughout this year, um, I have become a much better photographer and a much better video photographer. And I, a large part because of Lindsay, you know, she's really pushed me to, to make sure I have a sequence and have a cutaway and have, you know, thinking <laughs> about different ways of shooting to, to because as she said, this is not a story that you can sort of track, you know, put a track in and write your way out of. She had to have material to get from scene to scene and it had to have sound. And so it was a really tricky thing. It took a lot of communication. And, and then, um, anyway, I, I feel like I grew a lot during the year with working together with her. Yeah, you did. And I'll just say real quick, Matt, that Ben at the beginning of this was still somewhat new to video, you know, in video photography. And so he just had a different style coming from the print world. And um, a lot of times I would say, you know, I, I love your style and I love your stills, but I need a, a tripoded shot or could you tuck the mic in, <laughs> right? And, <laughs> Put on a damn tripod. <laughs> and um, I'm like, so can you hold that shot a little longer? And um, I, I watched his, his shooting really transformed this year from the sheer volume, from learning what he needed, from learning what he needed when he was in the edit booth, right? And so we both really grew a lot and this kind of stretched us to our very corners, you know, as oh storytellers. Yeah, it is interesting. I know, and 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 you've mentioned this that I work alone. I'm I'm a solo video journalist, and I've done a few documentaries now that are of shorter length of about twenty thirty minutes, and it is always interesting how my mindset for the shots I want and the feel I want changes once you get into that space, and especially as you said, Lindsay, when you can take your own narrative track out of it, mm -hmm. and suddenly it becomes all these other shots that you need and these sound bites that you need and other people have to do the talking. So there's only so many ways that you can tell a story and it, it is a much more challenging process and I can only imagine what it was like, especially knowing that when it came to the documentary that, you know, you worked on this as far as the editing goes and the writing of it, I would imagine after the school year ended and yeah. at that point there really isn't more time to go back and get moments or sound bites with the people in your story. Yeah, it's very true. Um, I think that it, just the level of detail that it required <laughs> to stitch together all of these different scenes over time. And, and really, we couldn't go back. Many of the students were gone. Um, it, this was a, a, a moment really in time. And so, yeah, it, it was very difficult, but I, but I grew so much and I'm glad that I sort of developed another tool in my toolbox as a storyteller. I also found just a lot of freedom in this type of storytelling. And I think 
part of this documentary was born from my own creative frustration of not being able to give stories like this context in one minute or 90 seconds. And so for me, it just felt like an exhale, being able to build in nuance or build in a, a deeper story arc. And so I really loved it. I think it was, it was just a joy to learn a new style. This is the Telling the Story podcast. I'm Matt Pearl. I'm talking with photojournalist Ben Garvin and reporter Lindsay Sievert, the minds behind the award-winning documentary Love Them First from Care 11 in Minneapolis and Tecna. I want to transition now to the rollout of this film because, honestly, I could talk about I could dive into craft with you guys for three hours, and I don't want to do that. It's, it's very late for all of us right now. But I want to transition to the rollout of this film and, you know, at this point, tell me if I'm off on the timeline at all, but by this point, you had done about a year's worth of individual stories about Lucy Laney. You've gone ahead, you've put together an 80 to 90 minute full length feature film. What were the discussions like in-house at CARE 11 and perhaps among Tegna as well about how to introduce this documentary to a local news audience and how to get people to see all the work that you'd put in? Mm-hmm. Ben, do you want to tackle that a little bit? Okay. <laughs> um, well, I think it was really hard after we, you know, started, I finished shooting. Life sort of went back to normal. I had a little bit of time to log. Um, I tried kind of doing that on my own before we realized, you know, over 250 hours of footage would take me forever. And so we needed a budget to kind of send some of the, the, all those interviews to a transcription service. Um, we needed a budget to hire a composer, you know, all these little things where we realized, okay, there's a cost to this. But meanwhile, we went back into the machine of daily news life. And so months had passed before we really even started working on this. I mean, like six months had passed. Before, but you knew you wanted to do it at this point. Yeah, we did. Um, it was just kind of rallying our managers to give us the time, which was very difficult. Our newsroom was in transition. We had a new news director come in who inherited this project. <clears throat> and so, we ended up sort of finding an advocate um, in a time where we didn't have a news director who was, uh, her name is Janine Vogelar, and she's the head of marketing and promotions. And really that was that was strange for us to, to find someone outside the newsroom that could sh- sort of shepherd this story into the world. But she had a little bit of history working for um, ITVS, which is sort of, they do uh, PBS documentaries and she did marketing for them. And so she had a little bit of documentary experience. She saw some of her footage, she was moved by it, And she just so happened to be attending a Tegna Innovation Conference in a few weeks. And so she took some of our footage and showed it at this innovation conference, you know, at our company's headquarters. And what that did was just sort of a spark to kind of rally support among our our management. And from there, um, she sort of made the ask, like, you see what, you know, the golden moments here, could we have some funding? And so Tegna decided to fund this sort of as a pilot project, which was a great gift and helped us kind of get this off the ground um, in the production phase to hire a post-production house, to hire people to help with, you know, our sound and our coloring and again, our, our composing. And so once we got the money behind it, then we were able to get about, I personally um, was relieved from my general assignment reporting duties for about eight to 10 weeks to, to write this. And Ben got about that time a little bit more to edit it. Um, wow. And the reason we did it so fast was because of A, staffing, but B, they wanted it to premiere in our local film festival. 
which is the Minneapolis-St. Paul International Film Festival. They thought that would generate a lot of local interest as part of the marketing plan. And so that was sort of our, our initial debut. It wasn't on television. We were sort of testing this with audiences locally. And that's when they really started responding. So I think we had, um, I don't know, about a dozen sold out showings where we thought, okay, wow, the people are really are moved by this. Um, so from there, they developed a plan to sort of generate publicity through film festivals, then move into broadcast. Um, so a few months later, we broadcast this on CARE 11 and then 35 Tegna stations across the country. The stations could, could opt into airing it and out of our 50 stations and our company, 35 did. And then from there um, was streaming. So then we, we decided to stream it for free on our website so we could give people far and wide um, access at no cost. And then also from there, Amazon uh, Prime Video approached us and uh, we're now streaming on Amazon Prime. So it's sort of like this, you know, four point rollout, but we really sort of got to, to, to draft this roadmap, so to speak, because Tegna hadn't really never done this before and we were creating a new model. And just to one, add to Lindsay's thought here is basically she talks about our marketing team is basically a marketing team of one uh, Janine Vogelar. <laughs> yeah. and we, she has a staff that she used, but she really was a kind of transformed what was possible with this film. You know, we had a, a beautiful series of stories and she said, let's let's make a film. You know, and this is good enough. So uh, it, it is a it is a, a reminder that you need an advocate, you know, and it's hard to find people like that. Um, but 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 thankfully we had her on our side. She was, she like did not take no for an answer. It was great. <laughs> and it really is. I think it's such a great reminder that really one person can do quite a bit and can cause quite a bit of a spark uh, when it's done the right way. And it's, and how wonderful for the two of you to have that, especially I'm sure there were times during that in between period between when you would finish shooting and between when the school year had ended and then this rollout where you were thinking, my goodness, we've poured in all this energy and effort and we almost do need someone else to just help us carry this thing across the goal line. It's true. And it's also, it also is the moment when people in the newsroom are like, oh, what, what the hell are they doing? Like where, where's Ben and Lindsay? Why aren't, you know, and, and it's not, but you know, you, you can imagine wondering that, that thing if you're in a newsroom and you're, you're, you're shooting live shots and really working hard, and then we're gone, you know, and I, and I always kind of remember that we we owe this film not just to Care 11, but the newsroom, like the newsroom filled in our, our gaps and created daily journalism at 9, 10, 4, 5, 6, 11, mm -hmm. you know, like all these shows. Um, and, and we were given the space to, to, to really sink our teeth in and think big picture and think nuance and think storytelling in a way that we've never had a chance to do before. And, you know, I think something... Uh, like the first of its kind came from it. Like, I don't think another station uh, has, I'm, maybe there has been other feature link things, but I feel like this is kind of a new model like Lindsay talked about. And it was made possible by, by like a whole bunch of people at uh, Care 11 and also Tegna who actually just handed over the cash to make it happen. Mm -hmm. I mean, what a gift. Yeah, and the, the support and the faith. And I'll just say that uh, Ben and I had a moment once where we were introduced as filmmakers and we looked at each other like, are we filmmakers? You know, it just, in the beginning, <laughs> we felt like we were just journalists like, shepherding this beautiful story into the world. And I still consider us that, but um I think, you know, now we've, we're, I've heard from people in the film world as we've gone to film festivals saying you created a new model of filmmaking. And now we know that there are three or four stations across Tegna trying to create their own feature films about stories in their community. So that, that wasn't intentional, but I'm glad that we could sort of inspire a spark. And um, the, the new model really 
you know, has, has led to, a, a, I don't know, a beautiful breakthrough for us. So I hope that other storytellers and other communities can think of new ways or, or new ways to tell stories in their own communities. So the film has premiered all over the country at various film festivals, at various events. Um, the principal was just on the Today Show, uh, I believe, a few weeks ago. And obviously, we've talked about the awards. I've no doubt that you've both received so many phone calls, emails, not just from viewers who've been touched by your work, but also from influential people who want to amplify that work in a real way. And I'm curious, Lindsay, you you touched on a little bit just now about how about the ripple effects of this documentary within Tegna as a company and perhaps within local news trying to get into this world of feature-length films. I'm curious, what are some of the tangible effects that your film has had on the education industry, the very industry that you set out to shine the spotlight on? Well, one reason why we wanted our film to be free and accessible is because we early on we started hearing from school districts and you know schools really regionally and then across the country of you know how can I get this? I want to I want to host event in my own school. We're struggling with these very same issues. And you had asked earlier, you know, when we realized this was a, a, about a bigger story, and I think that that was sort of the moment that you know we realized this isn't a Minneapolis story or Minnesota story. This is an American story, and. Um, I think, yeah, so we, we really felt strongly that that this could be a moment to spark dialogue, to create empathy and understanding and be used as a teaching tool. So after the film was completed, we also worked with some local educators to write a discussion guide that will accompany our film or currently does. So anyone anywhere can download our discussion guide and host a free screening, you know, where they see fit. So, yeah, we continually hear from from teachers um, you know, holding conferences, or maybe they just, you know, host a screening, you know, in their classroom or with their staff. But to me, that that is sort of a, a dream come true. It's what I always imagined that this, you know, flame by flame with a flicker and another flicker, you can set the world on fire and create systemic change. So that's really my hope that that we've sparked a national conversation about how we measure children and about standardized testing. Ben, I interviewed for my last episode of this podcast, John Sharifi and Joseph Huerta, who formerly of King five in Seattle, who produced another beautiful documentary called Bob's choice. And around this point in our podcast, then I asked them the same question. I'm going to ask you, how do you, how do you define success for a project like this? Is it about awards that get won? Is it about the number of film festivals it appears at the number of people who get to see it, the systemic change that Lindsay just talked about, what are what were the benchmarks for you when you set out on this project? And looking back, what are some of those benchmarks now, if they're different from what they were originally? Well, it's a very hard and it's a very good question. You know, I think early on the uh, the the success was very very minimal. It was just to 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 to, to find and capture a story that moves people, right? And and since it's a documentary, we don't really have a preconceived notion about what it's going to be or what it's going to say. But our documentary ended up speaking and highlighting, you know, real ever-present structural racism that is in, you know, all parts of our society, especially in education, and how standardized tests are written in a way that, that from the beginning put uh, students of color at a disadvantage and devalue them as human beings, you know. And it's, it's, a, it's a problem that I think... Um, this film makes real. And, and I, I think if there's one thing that I see as, you know, it, it is definitely fun to get a fancy award and go to New York city. And, and that's super cool. But the idea that, that we could actually be 
making an effect on the way that that um, standardized tests are written and that way and that the way that schools are, are quantified as being good or bad um, and that that you know teachers can see this as a way to to get re-inspired and and to to re-inspire young people to become teachers I mean that is I mean you know that's really that's that's the funnest part of this I think and and like Lindsay's right that's why we wanted to make this accessible it's on YouTube for free you know like and teachers are are sharing it and um, some people have told us it feels like a, um, a love letter to teachers because, you know, we end up being on these panels and we, we don't talk about journalism. We talk about education and, and, and it's, it feels a little like a fish out of water, but it's, <laughs> it's been wonderful to make j- journalism that is about the world and, and people want to talk about what's in it, you know, um, and that's been the funnest part for me. And Matt, I just wanted to say that I think maybe the greatest success to me is something that we might never see personally, but empowering people to choose love and hope in their communities and stand up for children in a way that maybe they never thought about before. And we get letters hearing that, that, you know, people say we've opened up their eyes to a world that they never knew existed. Um, And that's really, you know, a success that I'll carry with me forever. And, and again, the ripple effects that we might not ever personally see, but that we hope and we know that are there. Very, very well put. This is the Telling the Story podcast. I'm Matt Pearl. My guests are Lindsay Sievert and Ben Garvin, the minds behind the award-winning documentary Love Them First, which is, as they both said, available for free on YouTube right now, and it is a tremendous watch. I always like to use uh, this last section of the podcast as an advice section for younger journalists, and Lindsay, I want to start with you because one thing we haven't mentioned yet is that you don't work full-time at CARE 11 anymore. Uh (laughs) Love Them First was uh, very much a final act for you there. And given this level of success, given the amount of uh, latitude that you had to produce something like this, what made you decide to leave the station that made it possible? It was was such a, a defining moment in my life when we were working on this documentary because I was turning 40. I'd been a reporter for 18 years, a general assignment reporter at five stations. And you're right, this was sort of like the apex of my career. And I really felt like this was moving me in a new direction. And at the same time, my contract was up at the same time I was working on this. And it was either sort of, you know, sign on for another few years as a general assignment reporter um, and I just really felt like you, you guys know, know, all of you that were, you know, we're all parents speaking here tonight. And I have two young children that I really struggled to sort of keep up, you know, with what they needed and be present for. And so I just, I needed to make a change and I didn't know what that is. And I still am not quite clear on what that is yet. Um, but I, I'm just trusting the momentum of the moment that the, this experience will carry me to the, to the next story or where I need to be. Um, so I, d- I decided and care was very generous. I'm, I maintained a freelance contract with care to sort of carry this documentary into the world and for appearances and, you know, my key card still works. Um, I'm, hey. still, I'm still allowed in the building. Yes. But I, um, also took a job as a corporate storyteller with a healthcare company here locally as a video storyteller producer, producing documentary style stories. Um, so for now, you know, that's, that's where I am at the moment. I'm not, I'm not sure what's next, but I will say that Ben and I um, are brainstorming plans for future documentaries. We're also accepting story ideas, but um, I think, you know, when you live in the uncomfortable spaces of life, you know, beautiful things happen. So I think that um, whatever's next, I have great hope for. Thanks Mm -hmm. for asking. 
<laughs> well, and it's funny because I mentioned earlier that I, you know, I spoke with John Sharifi and Joseph Huerta last week, and they produced their documentary, King 5, and that was it for them. They both left that station within weeks after it aired. And wow. I'm curious, is there something about completing a project like this that it almost, in some strange way, does feel like an endpoint or a peak where it's kind of time to move on? I think, yeah, I think so. I mean... I, I will say this is the greatest gift of my journalism career so far. And uh, what a way to go out, you know, whoever could have seen that this would ended with a DuPont award. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I, and I think I, I found through this process that this is really maybe where I was meant to be all along. And maybe all those years reporting were just stair steps to where I was supposed to mm. be now. And I wanted to capitalize on that. And I really felt like sort of found my lane and um, that I would be foolish not to follow it and explore what's on the other side of this new door that opened. So, yeah, I think it's, it's a great way to cap um, the time at CARE. You know, would I do another documentary with CARE again? You know, absolutely, if that ever worked out. Um, so we'll just see what the next chapter is. Very cool. Well, Ben, thank goodness you're still around at CARE. You continue working full time there. And, uh, you know, we've talked... The last time you were on, we talked quite a bit about your progression as a journalist, but I do want to ask you this. Do you see Elaine as a photojournalist that primarily includes documentary filmmaking, where you could work at a local news station uh, or or just kind of have, uh, have kind of a steady, stable life in one place where documentary filmmaking and journalistic documentary filmmaking is your primary source of income, workload, all of that. Well, it is, that's the dream, isn't it? I mean, I, I, I once I've done a documentary that, that, that is this intense and this creative and this rich, um, it, it, it's, it's, I feel like I, I, I want to be in that space again, and I'm going to find a way to be in that space. And, and right now I'm working on special projects at Care 11, and I'm doing important work, and it's, it's good stuff for the community and whatnot. Uh, but but it's not satisfying in, in, in a way that, that, that I, I, I'm looking, you know, and I'm hoping to do so. I mean, I, I would love to find a space at care 11 where they continue to invest in long form, like, like documentary work where it's, it's, and, and I, I, and you know, it's going to be, you know, there's one thing you talk about advice for young journalists. I realize what you need is a good story. Like people, I've always realized in my career that people say yes to ideas, but uh, they they say yes to an actual story that's in their lap. But but if you just come up to them with a, a thought or, or a, a something general, it's easy to say no to. So we need to come up with another idea. No one's going to just give us another great documentary to make. And I think that's one thing Lindsay and I have learned is that, yeah, we've done this great documentary, but, but we actually need to think about what we're going to do next. And that's up to us. No one is going to hand that to us. And and it's kind of a, a sad reality like, yeah, we're, we did a cool documentary, but but it's on us to come up with what we can do next for the next one. I'm kind of rambling, but anyway. no, no, that it, it makes a lot of sense. And part of why I asked these questions to the two of you is because, you know, I, I do think that especially for younger journalists, there is a mindset that there is a specific path you have to take, uh, as a local news reporter. And you start in a small market, you go to a medium sized market, you get to a large market. And then maybe, you know, if, if you do well enough, you can, parlay that into a job at a network, but that's pretty much the trajectory. And I think what we've seen in recent years, especially with the advent of digital video storytelling and the platforms that exist there, is that there really are a lot of different paths. And, you know, folks, you know, folks can take the path, Lindsay, that you've taken and do it uh, on the corporate side largely, but then still keep the foot 
in the door at a station like Care 11, or they can take the route you've taken, Ben, where you started in newspapers and, and made your way and, and found this lane for yourself. So I, I appreciate you both being willing to talk about that. And the other thing that I wanted to talk about on this similar thought process is families. Uh, I think, Lindsay, you mentioned this earlier that, you know, the three of us, we all have children who are all hopefully still sleeping. Um <laughs> Talk about how your families, and Lindsay, we'll start with you, talk about how your family factors into the decisions you make in your career. Oh. I mean, everything, you know, number one, I think that, um, you know, it's no, it's no surprise, though, I, I believe that I've done some of the best work of my, my career or the work that I'm proudest of um, as a mom. And I think it just gives you a new prism and lens to look at everything. And I, you know, Ben and I as parents and having our own children, that was sort of the gift um, that allowed us to see the children at Lucy Laney for who they are too. Right. And really thought about them as what if they were my children and, you know, wrapping our arms around them, we grew very attached to them um, throughout the, the journey. But yeah, I, I held on for, seven years, I guess, um, with two children as a general assignment reporter, like, you know, beat reporter on the streets, working all sorts of shifts and really just sort of hit a burnout level um, where the hours were hard to keep up, the lack of sleep, but also um, both of my children have some extra special needs. And I was having, you know, babysitters drive them to doctor's appointments and just really felt like I just could not keep all the balls in the air and I needed to be more present. And for me, that was part of the decision to step away because I wanted to be the one to bring in them to those appointments or to get them off the bus. Um, so, yeah, so that was part of part of my journey. But I do believe that um, being a parent is probably one of the greatest tools that I've the gifts I've had as a storyteller and um, allowed Ben and I to connect in a way. Um, to put children front and center of our storytelling. In fact, we recently found a Google Doc where we brainstormed um, story ideas and um, every idea had to do with children at the top. We wrote something like, we just <laughs> want to do something with children. Um, and, and I'll say this really quick, and then Ben, you can jump in, is that having families was when also one of the hardest parts about doing this documentary. It was so time consuming. We would often go to the station between nine and 10 at night and work until like two or three in the morning to get this done. So um, just so we could be home yeah. with our families. And that's actually, that's kind of the direction I was going to go with you on this, Ben, which is that, you know, and and especially for the photojournalist and the editor, like you said, you know, you were, you were there as a shooter more of between the two of you, you were the one who was present more on shoots, which I'm sure meant some odd hours. And then as an editor, you know, I've been in that situation where you have a huge project that you're trying to get done and you can always make one more edit. You can always make one more adjustment. There, there's never a, a clear stopping point, and yet you have that. You have those needs at home, and you're a yeah. father, and it's important not to lose sight of that. So, talk about how you tried to balance that as you were producing this mammoth project. Yeah, well, I definitely failed. I mean, it's a. I did not succeed in that. I mean, I, I, I towards the end, uh, the finish line. I mean, I didn't fail, but like I, uh, you know, I, the, the film was, was, uh, took a lot of time and it was a burden on our, 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 my kids. We have four kids, my wife, I didn't see her a lot. It was hard. You know, I remember the last few nights, like, uh, you're right. You, you, 
as an editor, you think you can keep making changes. Well, luckily we had a deadline. I had to get it to the post-production <laughs> crew. So I, I had like, I, like 9 a.m. So I like pulled an all-nighter. It was like crazy. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I, if I could just back up briefly to talk about this idea of, um, of, of, of children and, you know, you talk about career and how to make it. I, you know, I, I, one thing I re- realized is that all I really want is for my life to feel meaningful. Right? I, I want it to feel like I'm doing something that's of value and has meaning. And that doesn't always have to be at work. And oftentimes I find myself not finding that at work. I, I, I'm shooting some story I, I don't care about, you know, maybe working with someone that I'm not clicking with, um, you know, and I'm just like, oh, it's not my happy space. But then, you know, I, I can find that, that, that sense of purpose with my children where I'm needed and, and I can connect with them or my wife. And, and, I, and I feel like that's different for everyone at different times in their life. And I just know that I've had many seasons in my life where I just don't care about my job very much. I'm not invested. I, I'm in a lull. I'm not being creative. I, I don't have a project. It's just really frustrating. I, I hate my boss. I mean, we all have really valid reasons to really not be loving what we do. But that doesn't, that doesn't necessarily mean that we won't find that space later. And it doesn't mean we can't find meaning else, elsewhere with our families or with the sport we're enjoying or with uh, you know, the beer we're brewing in our basement or whatever we want to do in our lives that makes us happy. Uh, and I think sometimes it's a mistake to just, you know, and I've made this mistake before where I'm so singularly focused on my career that I forget that, that, that the reason I want a career is to feel good about what I'm doing. And I can, I can get that feeling mm-hmm. in different ways. And, and, and with children, it has obviously been the the biggest gift, and it's been um, it's also all consuming, <laughs> and and uh, and it's you know it's wonderful, but it's also very hard to get right. Uh, Matt, can I just add that um, I came into this project at a time that I had come back from a extended maternity leave from having a really complicated pregnancy where I was on hospital bed rest, and I was out of work, um, yeah, for over six months, and I spent five or six weeks alone in a hospital room. And uh, with a baby that I didn't know was going to live or not. And it was just a very terrifying time. And I had a lot of time to stare at the walls. And I became driven um, by this intense need of when I went back to work to, to do legacy work, I guess. And, and um, in fact, Lucy Lane, the Lucy Laney story that I mentioned earlier, the drive-by shooting story, was the last story I covered before I checked into the hospital. And so I, wow. yeah, yeah. And so I thought a lot about that experience and all sorts of things, but um, kind of driven by this intense need that when I go back to work, like what work can I do that aligns with my heart and who I am and that leaves a legacy for my children or leaves the world a better place, truly. And um, really felt like what Ben mentioned, I was in a really weary spot, you know, before of covering really dark things. Um, I had just like lost my father. I was grieving. And so I was in a really low space where I was really worn down. And so having some time away from news to have a child sort of like helped me shift that perspective of, of yes, work that leaves, you know, a tra- blazes a trail and leaves the world a better place. I know that that sounds cheesy, but I think, you know, what Ben said, that's what he's driven by too. And I think for both of us, that was what, what was at the core of this work. I think there is so much value in what you just said, especially again, I, I think for a lot of younger journalists, the goals in a TV news career are typically goals that you can now achieve by the time you're 30 years old. Mm -hmm. Uh, If those goals are getting to a station like a CARE 11 or a WXIA in Atlanta or any major market station, so many people now are getting to those jobs by their late 20s or maybe early 30s. And for so many people, that's before kids enter the picture. So you have this carrot, you have this goal, and then you achieve it, 
And then suddenly this other goal and this other thing that you value and really should value way, way more, your primary role in life supersedes all of it. And you have to reevaluate so quickly what matters to you in your job and the kinds of things, the kinds of legacies that you want to leave in your work. And I, I, I really appreciate the two of you talking about that and how that propelled this documentary because I, I, I think that when you undertake something like this, it requires a couple of things. One, it requires no small amount of hubris. The idea that, hey, we've never done this, but we're going to go ahead and produce a feature-length film and it's going to be great and the two of us are just the people to do it, right? <laughs> but then it also requires that added purpose because if you're going to do something that goes so far outside the bounds of a normal, of the definition of a traditional news reporter and photojournalist, then you've got to have the fortitude and you've got to have the passion and you've got to have the reason to back that up because, yes, it, you need advocates along the way, but you have to be your first and primary advocates. So I think I, I really appreciate the two of you shedding some light on where that came from for both of you and, and how Becoming Parents really did propel this project in a way that I'm not going to say it wouldn't have happened had you not been parents, but that it certainly propelled it and catalyzed it in a way that might not have happened otherwise. Is that fair to say? It, yeah. I, I think that's a great, great summation. And I also know that um, nothing made me happier to come home and tell my kids and I say, what have you been doing, Papa? I'm at Lucy Laney. And they just it makes them feel good because they know that that work is important. And they know that that work has meaning in the world and also brings meaning to me. So I think it also, it my, my children um, took pride. And they love the film. They love watching the film. My son, 14-year-old son, Art, he'll still cry. You know, he talks about his favorite point. Like, I, it has been super fun to share. Uh, and, of course, you you know, I, I would share the stories. I don't care 11, just daily story, too. But but it's been really fun to to rope them in and celebrate this film with them. And you know, Lindsay and I talked about early on, and we have a credit in the film saying this film is not just ours; it's theirs. It's as a credit to their work mm -hmm. and their sacrifice and their love for us. I mean, it, it's a cheesy thing to say, but I mean, the amount of, of absence absence they suffered it should should mm -hmm. be experienced by no one. You know, so it was a gift yeah. they gave us. Ben, can you tell Matt the story real quick about your daughter's? Um... Black History Month essay that she wrote the other night, because I think that encapsulates what we're talking about. Yes, um, my uh, my daughter, uh, Bailey, wrote, well, she had to write a question about, um, what are some African-Americans you think are great? And whatever, just like a short little thing. So she wrote, well, I, I think Martin Luther King is great, you know, um, Rosa Parks and Mari Friesleben. Um, oh, and Mari wow. Friesleben is a main character in our film. Yeah. And, and she says, and Mari Friesleben is even somebody that I know African Americans are awesome, <laughs> but it was. And I, I texted that to Mari, and she was really quite moved. It was really special to, to know that that uh, you know Lindsay had the lovely idea of like framing it for her, but but Amari was touched by that. Yeah, and the fact that your kids recognized a living hero, and they she actually wrote her name next to Rosa Parks and Harriet Tubman, and I think that's that's, right, that's right. the gift that you left your your children by doing this project, right? That they they see a hero in their midst and recognize that and carry that with them beautiful true you know i mentioned this before we started recording and it bears repeating now in in front of the listening audience that you know it, it almost is a shame that we 
haven't talked more about the themes of this documentary of this film but you know you guys have done so many interviews that are available and, and that can be mm-hmm. listened to or watched where you, where you talk a lot about that and again there's so many interviews with Maury that are out there about this project that I would recommend that if you're listening to this podcast and you want to know more that you listen to but mostly I, I just want to say to people listening to this that it, it really is from both a storytelling perspective and a human perspective this is one of the most enriching pieces that I've watched in a long time, maybe ever, certainly from a local news operation, to see this kind of achievement is really remarkable, and it is both a clinic of how to produce something like this and how to build a narrative and tell a story, but also uh, it is such meaningful work that it it will no doubt connect you to your community more, uh, because the issues that are discussed here are national issues, certainly not just confined to the Twin Cities. So, Lindsay and Ben, thank you so much for being here. I always like to end with that famous reporter's question. Lindsay, you've probably asked it a million times. You too, Ben. Is there anything we haven't touched on that you wanted to add? I wanted to add one thing, uh, that our film is available at Love Them First. I'm going to give a little spiel. Lovethemfirst.com, <laughs> uh, where you can see the film. There's also more information about the main characters and about the filmmakers. Also, there's a there's a 20-page discussion guide that Lindsay referenced earlier where you can download and share that in your own community. And people can have a screening in their own families with their own friends and, and have a discussion about what this film means to them. Uh, it also is available on YouTube, Amazon Prime. There's something oh, – oh, we have Twitter and Instagram and Facebook that, that if you want to see recent updates from the film. And, um, for instance, just last week, Mari – went to visit with some uh, inmates at the at the Stillwater at the prison here in Minnesota and she they they showed the film and she had a wonderful powerful conversation with them and we're going to share that on Tuesday this week but we'll post all those sort of updates going forward on our Facebook page where if you page down you'll see previous videos and updates so anyway that's just a couple notes about the film and and its life yeah and uh, Matt I would just say quickly if I, I really think about you know one theme throughout this whole journey for me is like trust your instincts as a storyteller and when we both stumbled upon this story we just knew we knew of its power and its reach but there was a healthy doubt and skepticism from all aspects of this project um but we knew from the very beginning that this was something special. And I'm so glad that I listened to that inner voice because again, as a reporter, I've doubted that so many times throughout my career. Um, But that the trusting your instincts will never fail you, but will also will never fail you is looking towards the light and choosing love and hope. And I think, especially now as journalists, we need to remember that and look for those stories of light in our community that need to be shared far and wide. I can't think of a better way to end than that. Lindsay Sievert, Ben Garvin, thanks so much for joining me on the Telling the Story podcast. Thank you so much for the thoughtful interview. We so appreciate it, Matt. Yeah, you're doing really good work. You're you're uh, highlighting journalism across the country, and you're doing you're, you're putting in the extra mile here. Thank you for talking to us. Happy to do it. And the Telling the Story blog updates every Wednesday. The website is tellingthestoryblog.com. Rate and review this podcast on iTunes. Subscribe on Stitcher Smart Radio. Check out my book, The Solo Video Journalist. Thank you to Jazar for the theme music. Thanks to Lindsay and Ben for joining me. And thank you for listening to this episode of the Telling the Story podcast. We'll see you next time.